up and welcome to the Uncut Network. Every month we rotate between directors, actors and super specific genres. We cover everything from exploitation to things your parents will absolutely approve of. Relative unknowns to household names and everything in between. The Uncut Network is the movie podcast of all the nations that cover all those things and more. And I really need to reword that because in this case it's a bonus episode. It's not a traditional episode. We're doing a now new thing, I guess. An annual tradition of a Fright Fest special. And to do that, I am joined by Kat. Hello there. Hello. Uh, Amber. Uh, Belle. Hi. And joining us for the first time is Becky. Hello there. Hi, yeah. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. <laughs> okay, uh, this is a loaded question because I know you're all sort of in recovery mode, but how are you all doing? Um, I I feel like I am maybe one of the better off folks. I haven't been sick yet, but I do feel a scratchiness in my throat. So, you know, that's probably not a good sign. But I know some other people were much worse off than I. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I. I. I felt more human. Let's just say it that way. Like I, you know, got. I. I didn't even do the full festival either, which so I felt massive FOMO from leaving on the Sunday. But um, I got home and I was like, oh, I'm not feeling that great. And then it just felt like I got hit by a truck, so I had to take like two days off work. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, I've been better, but it was 100% worth it. So if this is the if this is like you know the consequence you pay for doing Pride Fest, I'll do it every year. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine so far, touch wood, but I wasn't in the screen nearly as much as everybody else. So I think that that has saved me in, in this thing. Because like five days breathing the same air as a load of strangers at varying degrees of health, not sleeping, not eating great, it's, it's not good. No. Yeah, I was much the same. I feel terrible after <laughs> the end of it. I've definitely caught something off the many people in the screen, but... Like Belle said, it was definitely worth it for the experience of the weekend. I definitely, definitely take a couple of couple of days feeling down for like, how good the weekend was. Last time we did this episode, I'm pretty sure I had COVID because I said about six words in a three-hour recording. So <laughs> <laughs> it's already better than last year's. Um, and last year's because of my, you know, ill health. I think we recovered. We covered, sorry, every single movie. So I think yes. it was near enough three hours long. Yes, we literally went wow. day by day, film by film, commenting. And bless Mike, he had only been there for the one day. And <laughs> he he sat there through me and me and Pope just talking through every single film. Um, but yeah, so let, let's not do that this year. <laughs> uh, no, bit more of a simple uh, setup this this year. Um, so just go through it day by day. It starts on Thursday, so we'll talk about the highlights of every day. And at the end, we'll sort of uh, loop around and talk about the festival as a whole and things that might not have been highlights, things that, you know, just talking about the festival in general. So, Thursday, the highlights of Thursday. I mean, I think we all have a shared... <laughs> a, a shared... Who wants to say Highlight. What... <laughs> There were there was five films that played on Thursday, and whilst I'm sure some of the others were you know, some of the others were fine, I think we're all here to talk about suitable flesh. Mm-hmm. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, all I know that is it's really horny, and that's all I know about it. <laughs> um, it was genuinely like really fantastic. 
Um, not just because it's horny. That does help, obviously. But I thought I thought it was a really good film. I thought it was like a perfect opening night film. It was funny. It was gory. It was sleazy. It was just like a fucking blast all around, to be honest. And is that the opening movie? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an up from last year's, which was a the Neil Marshall. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Love that. A, de- a definite up from the lair, I would say. <laughs> what are anybody else's thoughts on uh, suitable flesh? Horny. <laughs> We've got that. I loved covered. it. It was ridiculous <laughs> horny, but also really great performances from like Barbara Crampton, Heather Graham, and Judah Lewis in it as well, which. I'd only previously seen in The Babysitter, but in this, like, he really, really stole the show, being able mm-hmm. to portray so many different sort of personalities without, like, straying into spoiler territory. To be able to sort of embody so many characters, he was just fascinating to watch. And the same with Heather Graham in it as well. And also Barbara Crampton. We don't see her too much in the film compared to everyone else, but she's just an icon. She's just captivating mm-hmm. in every scene she's in. So the three lead characters in it, it's hard to pick between them who was the best to watch. So between all the ridiculous in, ridiculousness in the plot, we also had some really solid performances to sort of anchor it. So it was just an all-round great watch. Yeah, it was. Mm. I feel like I haven't seen Heather Graham in anything for a while as well. And I suppose, I mean, I don't know her filmography massively, but I feel like I haven't seen her in anything horror. Has she ever been in like anything horror before? Probably. Oh yeah, yeah. She's a horror icon, our Barbara Crampton. <laughs> no, 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 Heather Graham. Oh, Heather no, Graham, not Babs. <laughs> not Babs. I know Babs. There's what I can't remember. It's called. It's called something like possessed or bedeviled or something. But there's definitely a a DVD where she's on the front cover, pregnant and holding her baby, and that's like some sort of Rosemary's Baby ripoff, from what I remember. I love that. Well, I caught I caught it out of Tribeca, and so it's directed by Joe Lynch. It is. Uh, dedicated to Stuart Gordon and uh, follows his it it follows in Gordon's routine of modernising a Lovecraft story so this is Lovecraft's The Thing on the Doorstep which is two male protagonists and this is obviously like two female protagonists so they've done the gender swap they've modernised it Um, there's a lovely little cameo from Graham Skipper who's a Fright Fest regular normally and Everybody, like Barbara and Graham and a lot of the writers and cast and crew all worked with Stuart Gordon. So this was a real sort of like love letter to to the late great director. For me, like the horniness, the horniness alone is one of the highlights of this film. But um, seconding what uh, Becky was saying, it's also like really grounded performances from all of the characters throughout. And I don't know, they're just, uh, even though there's none of the, characters are like explicitly i guess queer on screen or anything like that the film just has an inherent queerness in it okay i guess the question you gotta ask about any opening movie does it sort of set the style for what's to come is it like a this is the tone of what's going to happen in the next couple of days or is it basically an anomaly uh for me it was i think a hopeful oh is this what we're in for for the rest of the weekend and then i think because it was such a strong opener a lot of films didn't live up to it. So <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a weird balance. And like with the perfect way to start such a fun weekend. But then you're comparing every other film you're watching to it. And nothing could hold a candle to it because they were all so different. Yeah, I definitely agree. I do think it was quite an anomaly in the programming. There was nothing that really 
felt like it, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing with some films. There was a lot of variety to really cater to different horror fans, which is great. But then I also agree with Belle that there were some duds in comparison to it as well, especially on the first day. I don't feel like anything really lived up to suitable flesh for me. Yeah, it was immediately followed by The Dive and Cheat, which are both quite slow. So you've kind of pumped the audience up with suitable flesh and then it was just an immediate like plummet down, especially on that first night. Hmm. And what else did play on that first day? Just out of curiosity. Uh, so it was The Dive, which is two sisters get trapped in a... There's a little landslide above ground. They get trapped underwater uh, while they're cave diving. And Cheat was like a really slow ghost slasher story and then in the other screen there was punch which is a british set slasher with uh, the killers wearing a a punch from punch and judy mask and Mm. then there was an anthology called law so i guess disc the discovery screen was better at bringing those energy levels but most people just stayed in the first screen for the first night yeah it sounds like a pretty bad programming really i mean that's in um to relate it's sort of like a music festival you want your headliner on last that you want people to go home on a on a buzz on a high. I think I so I'm a the dive defender. I actually enjoyed the dive, but I did think it was a really strange opening night movie. Like Kat said, it was very slow. Um, and to come straight off like something really fun and original, like suitable flesh, and then just go straight into the dive, which was basically like uh the descent and fall and um uh, what's that one where they're like trapped in the swimming pool and it's two sisters what like all of those type of things um and it just felt like Hmm. a little bit i don't know it just felt like a little bit of a disappointment to come straight off of suitable flash into the dive but i actually i actually liked it i'm a dive defender yeah i didn't hate the dive but i didn't like it as much as suitable flash i did feel that i agree coming down off that for sort of quite a soothing lots of sea sounds lots of sort of murky lighting compared to suitable flash which lots of like spinning cameras saxophone solos lots of ridiculous things happening on screen it was definitely definitely quite jarring i think it probably would have worked better with suitable flesh being last but then also a lot of people are tired from sort of traveling on the thursday as well so i'm sort of glad that it did come first so i could watch it really enjoy it and then sort of take everything in afterwards that'd just be terrible for me because for a while the only way i could get to sleep is by watching sort of cost videos on youtube 12 hour long course videos like sea sounds it was very that it was very relaxing it was very asmr-y um i think the dive was the last one i did because i was very tired after that and it was really like beautiful it was really relaxing like the sun like glimmering on the ocean um but yeah it was just it just felt a bit derivative and what i don't understand is why is it always two women in this situation like why have we never got films where it's like two brothers that go off and are stupid enough to get themselves trapped in like an ice box or something? Like it's always two women. And Liz said something very, very smart. She said this would never happen to women because women would never get themselves in that situation. And I have to agree. It seems like sort of a, a surfer bra situation. Right. Like well, I would like to see like two men get themselves in a stupid, completely avoidable situation because let's be real, that's probably more likely to happen. It's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason we live longer. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first full day, I guess it'd be now. Um, Friday. Um, yeah, I'll I'll jump in first for Friday. Um the highlight for me would probably be 
New Life. It's a uh, one from John Rosman, I think is the director's name. It's like his new feature and it's like a really interesting new kind of twist on the whole type of zombie story. And I think <laughs> it does it really interestingly, has really captivating characters and I really just enjoyed how it looked. See, that stood out for me as a Friday one. But then also as well, uh, Where the Devil Roams. Like, that was my first Adams Family picture. I'd never seen any film from them, but I know everyone raves about them. And yeah. I, f- I feel like you really have to put a huge <laughs> caveat there. Because when you say the Adams Family, people think. No, not the, oh, not, not the Uki and Kuki. Well, I guess maybe a bit, but no. <laughs> <laughs> a single D, Adam, not the double Ds. Yeah, film that kind of follows a family of like I don't know what you want like circus performers or almost like kind of like freak show performers type thing, like you know traveling kind of circus people who go on a murder spree, and the film also like kind of deals with untangling PTSD and trauma. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean the the, the hit rate they have and the speed that they make things—it's like once a year. It's pretty stellar stuff. Once a year, they write it, they direct it, they do the soundtrack, they do the set design, they do the costume. It's fucking amazing. Music as like, well. Big music, everything. Hellbender. The music like, they did in that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, so, so, so good. And it was so nice to see, obviously, because I do think, I, I love that they're kind of like, obviously they're indie filmmakers still, they're still working with these like, smaller budget but the creativity that comes out of them i've never i've never seen a film like where the devil roams i can 100 percent say that with certainty i've never seen anything that reminded me of it or made me think of it it was completely original um and i i just can't wait to see i would like to see them with like a huge budget but also i love the creativity that comes with them having the smaller budget but i want them to blow up and be massively successful and world famous so yeah. yeah, I get that. But while, you, while we're on your uh, Amber, highlights for the Friday? Yeah, so for me it was um, Where the Devil Roams was a highlight. I have to give a shout out to the J-Horror Virus um, by Jasper Sharp and Sarah Appleton. I actually didn't, sadly didn't get to see it at the first, but I saw it beforehand because it's I'm a J-Horror obsessive, um, as you might know. And the minute I heard about this documentary, I knew I had to become immediately obsessed with it. And I did. Um, they did such a fantastic job and I'm really gutted I didn't get to see their Q&A um, but they're such lovely people and so I'm so happy to see this little subgenre that not a lot of people maybe know about get like a really cohesive English language um, documentary about it because it's 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 fully it's like the only thing that really exists in the space of English language but it has all the masters in it you know it's got Kurosawa in it it's got Sukamoto in it it's got Noroi Suruto in it it's got like the whole gang the whole gang is there (laughs) (laughs) and I just I just loved it it was like it was great fun I'm really I'm so happy to see it um like the reactions of people coming out after seeing it um so yeah big fan of that one I have to ask I saw the one that did previously the found footage one and I mean this of all the love in the world it could also be in a podcast because it was. <laughs> I, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. I think that's kind of that. That is kind of the nature of documentaries. I think, and I will say, especially with a subgenre like J horror. J horror. I don't know where that came from. Sorry, <laughs> I was so excited. You're so culture. Um, 
a subgenre like J-horror is, by its very nature, it is a slow, quiet, subtle horror. And a lot of the directors as well, you know, being these older Japanese men are quite, you know, Kiyoshi Kurosawa is like so eloquent and gorgeously spoken, but quite quiet, Mm. quite softly spoken. So I, I will say I can understand maybe people thinking that it could have been a podcast, but for me... No, no I mean, um, in the case of found footage, the found footage experience, I think it was called, it was just such a... It's a visual medium and they didn't really make a visual movie. I mean, you could have got exactly the same experience. Nothing was added by it being a visual experience. It was just you could have listened to them talk for 90 minutes and you got the same result at the end. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could... If you thought that, you could make the same argument for the J-Horror virus. I personally wouldn't because I like, I like seeing the clips and... With something like the J Horror Virus as well, they go into like the the mythologies behind the Yorkai spirits and the Onryo, which is a very physical thing. And they have the actress that plays um, Sadako and Kayako, and you really need to see their like creepy body movements for that. Um, so I think this one like really benefited from the clips, and they they actually showed a few clips and movies from uh, things that I had actually never heard of, which for someone as like hyper obsessed as me was really cool to see. Hmm. Cool. Um, moving to Catelyn, Friday highlights. Um, so I'm going to sort of echo Belle with with New Life. Um, I caught it out of Fantasia, and it's the hardest film to review because you can't say anything about it without risking spoiling it because it's it's one film until a certain point when it becomes a completely different film. Um, okay. It's it's a feature debut. Um, John is a is a lovely director. He was he was there all weekend. Um, they had a very interesting marketing campaign for their film. They had like missing dog posters everywhere, which we we were talking about, and we either thought someone's lost their dog or it was for Good Boy, which was playing on the Monday. But no, it was it was for New Life. Uh, so that was that was strange. Um, again, where the devil roams. I am Team Adams and have been since the DPU dig. Um, Hellbender, Hellbender is my favourite. I don't think this one for me reached Hellbender, but I still really enjoyed what they did, and it has got one hell of a final image. Um, it's like, did I just see what I think I saw? And apparently, we did. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and then for, for films that we haven't mentioned, uh, "What You Wish For" by uh, Nicholas Tomney. Again, it's one that you should know not much about, but it stars Nick Stahl as a a sous chef who finds himself in spot of bother when he agrees to cater a private dining experience. Um, that is. It really took me by surprise when I when I watched it. I wasn't expecting it to go quite where it went. And Nick Stahl is so good in it. And my final highlight, slightly biased because I did the intro and the Q&A for it, uh, but it's an animation called The Weird Kids by Zach uh, Passero. I've seen that one as well, yeah. It's like a coming-of-age 80s animation B-movie prepubescent boys and older siblings and girlfriends go into the desert camping and stumble across a strange monster and it's like them versus the monster but then there's like 
some other stuff happening. It actually, it was actually like really emotional and nostalgic. And there was one point in the film where I was in tears and I didn't understand why I was in tears. Literally the first five minutes is just the characters constantly calling each other ball sacks. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to hate this. And then like minute 30, I'm like, why am I crying? Uh, so yeah, that, that one really sort of like stood out to me. Yeah, a big sweetheart of a movie that the characters would just do absolutely anything for any to reach other, and it's just so genuine and humble. I mean, I think people might be put off by the art style. That seems to be sort of advanced word from elsewhere in the world. But yeah, it does take a little bit of getting used to, about yeah, 10, yeah. 15 minutes, and then it sort of clicks into place. But it's made by two people. It's made by <laughs> Zach, who <laughs> wrote it, and he animated everything, hand-drawn onto a, onto a tablet. And then his wife painted all the backgrounds. They did it over nine years. Um, and there, there was one wow. point where they'd got so far. And then, because he's an editor by trade, he's edited all of Lucky McKee's films and a load of other stuff. And he got so far, he went on a seminar and learned a new animation style. Um, and about four years in, he just went back to the beginning and started going over everything with the new things that he'd learned. <laughs> and even the version that screened at Fright Fest had just had a prologue added to it. So the Fright Fest audience were the first audience in the world to see an 80-second prologue set 25 years earlier. And that was because he was like, I want to make something. And the producer and him were talking, were like, well, should we make something new? And he's like, no, why don't we make something for this to sort of explain it a little bit better for the audience? So, yeah, this is a film that I don't think he's ever going to stop tinkering with. It's going to be... It's a really nice movie. Yeah. Um, Becky, Friday Highlight. Yeah, so I'm echoing quite a lot of what everyone else said. Obviously, Where the Devil Roams was definitely one of my favourites. I do love the Adams films already. Um, we got the pleasure that myself, Kat and Amber spoke to the family on the media wall beforehand, and I don't know what like they thought as well, but definitely speaking to them and hearing the love they have for each other and how much they love working with each other to then watch the film and see how they interact and see all the obvious passion that went into making the film just really elevated it for me, seeing that it really was like a labour of love. It's something they love doing together and that's why they produce so many films together. They just enjoy coming up with these ideas and making these films and it felt like a real pleasure and a real intimate thing to be able to sort of be included in that, be included in such an important family activity to them to then show in front of hundreds of people. I don't know, it just felt really, really special and like Kat said, the final scene in it is definitely something I didn't expect to see and I love my films to shock me so to hear people in the screen gas <laughs> it was just fantastic and then also yeah the j-horror virus was another one that i really really enjoyed like i'm the total opposite to amber like j-horror really is quite a blind spot for me in my film knowledge so to go into it i thought it was perfect mm. for people who know a lot about j-horror but also for people who don't really understand like explain where it comes from how these people know each other how they all went to school together and studied with each other and try and constantly want it each other's creations to hear about like sort of the community around the film both in japan but then also worldwide as well like the j-horror fans that consume it i thought it was really really interesting and really lovingly created as well yeah looking forward to that one just so the wider world knows how much of a sweetheart shinya sukamoto is oh my god <laughs> mate when i tell you when he came on screen i literally like when i saw it will have my screen i was like oh my god it's shinya <laughs> Like I was like a full on like boy band fan girl. He's so cute. I love. And they said like I got to speak to them a bit, and they said obviously everyone was a total sweetheart. 
but they almost didn't get Shinya because apparently he was very um it was like during still when COVID was still going on in Japan and he was he was very very scared about COVID still but bless him he like overcame that um fear because he really wanted to be part of the documentary so big love for Shin love it hmm. So moving to uh, Saturday, well, yeah. Um, so Saturday was the day I saw the most films out of my entire like weekend. There, I think I saw a total of five. Yeah, I saw five on Saturday. So I just went film, 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 film. Um, highlights for me. I did think this was the wrong place to have it in like the schedule of the day. Um, but the film Monolith. That's a like I just really vibed yeah. with it. Single location horror film that has like just one kind of actress on screen, which is your one Lily Sullivan from Evil Dead Rise. And yeah, I thought it was an interesting enough film, like interesting kind of central kind of mystery to it. And I thought it did a good job of like telling the story and making you kind of feel a bit unease throughout it. But it shouldn't have been a ten forty five a.m. screening like after like two days of people doing fright fest because it was. Yeah hard to stay awake but not because of the film just because of the time um but then other highlights for me were cobweb just i can see that easily becoming an annual halloween rewatch for me it was just exactly what i wanted from that film that's the anthony star one yes, isn't it anthony star and um lizzie kaplan just both unhinged and they know exactly what film they're in and I love it. It was just exactly what I wanted. And like caveat for people going in far more kind of like alleged and also on screen child abuse than I expected going into the film. <laughs> it was not something I expected, but um, it's a overall, it's a very well done film, competently made. And then the last kind of highlight for me is technically not really horror, but more just like so brutalistic in its violence that it can slide into horror. But the action film Farang. I mm. loved it. It was exact I don't know, it just had that vibe of like, you know, those original kind of like classic kind of like 80s action films that have that like, you know, of like there's this father who's like a reluctant father but now has to rescue like his daughter or child and just basically kills multiple people to get there. That's kind of essentially what the film is. It's not doing anything new. It's not turning the wheel, but it does it well. French, that one? Yes, um, Xavier Gems. Yeah. Yes. Oh, he's been sort of, uh, I wouldn't say absent, but he kind of goes through spells of being amazing and then he does the divide and then <laughs> amazing and then nothing. It's nice to see him back. Yeah, so. But um, going back to Monolith, uh, the actor who was in uh, Evil Dead Rise, who was it? Because I'm not great with actor names. Uh, Lily. In, in Evil Dead. Oh, she plays um, Beth. The sis, the sister of Maggot Mummy. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just a great year for everybody in that movie. It's such mm. a, a coming out party, Evil Dead Rise, and people hate it. They're wrong, <laughs> but you know, that's fine. <laughs> Other opinions are allowed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, Amber, Saturday. Saturday for me started off really strong and then progressively got worse. And I don't know how mean we want to be on this pod, so I'm going to just keep the positives. Um, so we started Saturday morning with uh Junta Yamaguchi's River, which had an intro from our lovely cat here. And me and Becky were lucky enough to get a ticket thanks to Third Window for our uh, Ben from Third Window had um a couple of extra tickets. So me and Becky went in, which was so lovely for a Saturday morning. Can I just say it was like 
it's not it, it, it see it might seem like a bit of a strange choice for fright fest this film because it's not in any way shape or form a horror but i guess it is a genre it's like sci-fi adjacent but it was just so friggin heartwarming and lovely and i've actually not seen um beyond the infinite two minutes uh, it's it's wonderful same, I, it's same sort of things now because yeah. like because everyone said it's like like cat you said in your intro it's like a companion piece so i know now i have to see it but honestly river was just like the most gorgeous like oh i just love it it was like like a hot like a gorgeous little snowy japanese village and it was just like really funny it was so funny all the characters were really sweet and the whole audience was like in hysterics and it was really like lovely everyone was really teary at the end and it was like the perfect everyone was a bit fragile on saturday so it was like the perfect saturday morning movie because it was it was slow and cute but it wasn't like um boring shall we say no No one was falling asleep if it's anything like beyond the the infant two minutes that's 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 far from boring it's just the the sweet uh, adorable i mean i've seen that a lot of day and i don't mean to condescend to movies but But no but it was it was adorable it was really heartwarming it was really sincere it's so nice to see a film that is really sincere because i think a lot of films these days are always doing like this this knowing wink to the audience, like, oh, I, I don't really have feelings. Like, feelings are not cool. And this film's like, no, like, love is really important and we should be kind to each other. It was really sweet. <laughs> it was so heartwarming. So many people walked out with just a huge smile plastered on their face, us included. So it was it was a lovely little pick-me-up. Nice way to start the Saturday. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But all downhill after so that. So after that for me was Cobweb, which I did enjoy. I did think Cobweb suffered from this thing that I think most modern US... Ho- uh, sorry, I know that Samuel Bowden isn't American, but like I guess quote-unquote blockbuster horrors suffer from is that they show too much of whatever it is. I think everything is scarier when you can't see what it is. And the minute you show me some CGI thing, I lose interest completely. But having said that, I it really went, it went in a direction I kind of didn't expect it to go in. Like Belle said, it was a lot more brutal than I thought it would be in terms of like the way the kid is treated in it. Um, Lizzie Kaplan and Auntie Star are fantastic. Auntie Star is terrifying in it. Um, and I really like, I think, is, is she called Cleopatra Coleman? Yes. Who's in Infinity Pool. Um, she was great. Like, and I had only seen her in Infinity Pool where I was very annoyed and jealous of her because married to Alex Star. <laughs> so it was, it was nice to like root for her for once. Okay. Uh, so, Cat, uh, continuing on my Saturday. So, I only actually saw one film at Fright Fest because I saw a lot of stuff before Fright Fest. And that film was Farang. And I'm very glad that it was the film that I saw at the festival. It's probably one of my films of the festival. Uh, so, you were saying that Xavier has sort of disappeared for a while but he's been making the tv show gangs of london i had no idea about that and farang is basically that with the plot of something like john wick or an 80s jean-claude van damme film set in thailand um is that the one that he i think gareth evans did the first season yeah it was um it was uh xavier um evans and corin hardy and it has the farang has the same action designer um jude poyer that they had in Gangs of London. So the action is there's a scene in the lift, which is just amazing. It's one of those, it's one of these action films where people are being like stabbed in the arm with a machete, and then they're just using that machete to then like take down another bad guy whilst it's still like embedded in their arm. It's like super violent <laughs> and just 
I'm a horror girl, but I'm also like an action revenge thriller girl. So this was like the perfect marriage for me. Um, my other highlights, The Moor, which was a, a first blood film uh, set on the Yorkshire Moors. Um, but it mixes true crime and found footage and a lot of emotion. It's quite a slow film but I kind of feel like it needs that to sort of stew in the melancholy and grief. And the cinematography mm. is beautiful. I mean, the malls, Yorkshire malls are, are beautiful and this film captures that. And also made me a little bit more scared of sheep than I was expecting to. There's a really creepy shot of some sheep at nighttime and they've like got their eyes shut or they've got no eyes or something and they're not, they don't look normal. I live um, in Yorkshire, was, don't yeah. tell me that. <laughs> don't go to the moors, Amber. <laughs> Stay away from the moors. Lived in Yorkshire army life. That's, the moors are terrifying. We are screwed. <laughs> I can throw a stone about a mile that way and that's where I am basically in where the moor is. It's what the film taps into is the fact, because I know a lot of people who live close to the moors and stuff, and there is something about them that is creepy and does make people wary. Like you grow up as a child sort of being told by your parents, don't go like onto the moors. And then that sort of like stays with you. And I think that Chris Cronin and uh, Paul Thomas, the writer, really sort of capture that eeriness of, of it. I've seen that too, and it's it's got one of the a few scenes in there. I think one of them was an award winner at, at Empire Awards. Total film. That's the one. Yes, um, they called it the five 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 scene. I'm, I'm assuming it's the the bit in the tent. Which well, is, I, I haven't yes. seen it. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just saying the bit in the tent I, is very I scary. But the bit I'm that, like too scared to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a great final shot. The final scene is very very scary, and yeah. it was kind of a, a, a oh shit sort of ending and that's the sort of the best sort of ending you want for a horror movie i think 100%. yeah that was when um because i spoke to chris when he read the first script the first treatment it was that final scene that hooked him and made him want to do the script um and like a lot of yeah. other stuff changed before that in the script but he kept the ending as it was in the original version and it definitely works and I guess my final highlight is uh, Transmission. I wanted to stay for it, but I was very tired. Um, it's a, it's basically like you're sat watching late night TV, flicking through the channels. And then as the film progresses, you realise that these programmes are all interconnected. So you're not watching a documentary and a crap sci-fi film or a cheesy <laughs> like tea, tea and comedy. They are all interconnected in some way. And I just thought it was genius. I mean, I remember trying to like write my notes and I was basically writing down what program we were watching so that when I did my review, I could understand like the narrative and that nearly sent me mad. So I had no idea how the director, Michael Hurst, managed to like figure this riddle out and, and put it onto screen. It's a really cool screenwriting trick that I think where I imagine they need like a crazy wall full of like string and notes yeah. just to figure it all out. <laughs> And the really, it's really clever, really clever yeah. script that. And also, the director grew up with a lot of previous Fright Fest alum. So he grew up with uh, Johannes Roberts, who directed 47 Meters Down, and the knock behind the, 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 there was the, the other side of the door, I think it's called. Um, Howard J. Ford, who had The Dead and The Ledge play. And like some director called Ben Wheatley, 
Some <laughs> <laughs> guy. Um, they they all grew up. They all went to college together. Like he helped Ben Wheatley make his first like student film um, at college. And it's just very strange that there's all these people that sort of all grew up together, and they've all at some point in their career have gone through Fright Fest. He was very excited to be sort of the last of his friends to make it. Very small. It's a big world out there, but it's also very, very small, a horror community. Yeah. Quite nice, that. And uh, Becky? So, yeah, so after River, after such like a nice start to the day, my day was just full of parental anxiety. Just lots of horror <laughs> films about children and horrible things happening to children, which was great because I travelled to London with my two children for Fright Fest. They went round London with my husband. So I was just seeing them between screenings, just like being the youngest and look at them. So, yeah, my Saturday was full full of horrifying scenes of children um the more being one of them that was definitely one of my highlights i loved how it sort of blended the true crime element but then also the supernatural elements and then how it sort of lamented on the grief of losing a child and seeing the parents dealing with that i thought their reactions to it how somber and matter of fact they were was very chilling there's no moments where you really see people really losing it screaming and crying it's that sort of silent recognition of what they're going through that I thought was so haunting alongside the actual scenes of horror in the film. I think it's one of the longest films I saw at Fright Fest, but it was definitely one of the ones that gripped me from start to finish. I didn't find myself sort of drifting out or checking my phone or anything like that because it's not one I saw on the big screen either. It's one I saw on a screener. Uh, similarly, Farang was, was another one of my highlights. Really enjoyed how violent it was. But then I did think it was very heartfelt at parts as well, like when he doesn't know where his daughter is. You see this big, strong, like burly lead actor kicking the shit out of all these people to get to his daughter and then breaking down in tears constantly as well. It was a really, really interesting look at masculinity and parenthood in the film as well. And then my other highlight of the day, which I know had been sort of hit and miss with a lot of audiences, but I really enjoyed Pandemonium which played on the big screen, which was from French uh, director and artist Quarks, which was sort of a lamentation on like the Seven Rings of Hell and Dante's Inferno. It starts with two men that are in a car crash and then they wake up and they've realised that they didn't survive the car crash. And then they go to hell and they relive the stories of the other tortured souls that are in hell. I do think it could have done with maybe another story in there. You follow like two stories in it. I think it could have maybe done with a third to really like get into... Like it's the really dark, gritty elements. But what it did show, I thought, was very, very effective for me, especially because, again, it deals with children in the narrative. One more murderous, one that's a lot more sort of sad, more more like sad and grief in it. And I, I thought they were very effective. I was in tears watching it in the second story. It really, really hit me putting myself in that mother's situation with her daughter. I just thought it was absolutely heartbreaking. I actually forgot I forgot about Pandemonium and I actually did I enjoyed it um and the more I think about it the more I actually do enjoy it because one of the things that I didn't like about it initially was that I I was confused and I didn't know how to feel because it goes without spoilers it starts off quite quite dark but a little silly then it goes really fantastical then it is like the bleakest most horrible thing you've ever seen and then it finishes off really really silly again and almost like a fantasy horror um which when I came out of it I was in a bad mood because I was like I don't know how to feel and I don't like this but the more I think about it the more I respect that because like that's what good films should be they should make you like all go all over the place and that bleak bit is Bleak yeah. as well. 
it really was a lot on a Saturday when everyone's quite tired from the night before. Yeah. It was a lot to sort of sit there and watch so much, so much cruelty. Like there's no relief in it. There's a little bit of comic relief. But then when you look back at it, you're laughing at something that really isn't that funny. It's just mm-hmm. funny compared to the really horrible stuff that's happening. It's comic relief that you're laughing at something awful in a sea of other really awful things. Yeah, but, uh, it's, that, it's that French humour, isn't it? Where you're like, oh God, I really should not be laughing at this. Yeah. It's hilarious. It really so does. It's the European humour. It really does fit in well with a lot of other like really fantastic French horror films, which I do find are often very, very bleak. Those horror fans are a weird bunch, aren't we, when we find things <laughs> funny? It's, it's like somebody, a friend of... A friend, I guess we'll call him, um, was saying, I hate to bring it back to Evil Dead Rise, that there's no comedy in it. Oh, I disagree. And it's like the 2013 one, there was a bit that I found very, very funny, and I think that might be a sign that I'm maybe gone too far. <laughs> it's like a bit where she cuts her arm off of a meat clearing. She's, ah, that feels much better. <laughs> it's just a little little thing like that, like relieving yourself by cutting your arm off. It's just, find that funny. We're a weird bunch. Oh, no, we were all <laughs> laughing at it. I suppose I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but on the Sunday with Piper, people were laughing. Oh, my God. That 60 seconds in when a kid's killed. <laughs> there were people cheering and cheering. laughing in the big screen. <laughs> it is that sort of ridiculousness of Fright Fest, <laughs> a ridiculousness of the horror audience. Delirious. <laughs> we own it, though. We own it. It's the Disney fans that you got to be worried about because they're, they're the really dark ones. <laughs> not saying anything, no, not saying anything. <laughs> Um, so on to Sunday, yes, Bell. Uh, well, I didn't actually do any films itself on Sunday because I, when I booked everything for Fright Fest, I was not aware that it goes all the way to Monday. So I only did the day passes for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I flew home on Sunday. But I did see the absolutely fantastic Piper via screener. And this is... It feels like it's a film that was made for me. Like I'm just like, like maybe it helped. Like through the advice of a few others, I did indulge in some smoking before watching the film, and I think that really helped. But oh, this! I don't want to go into too much detail about this film if you can. But basically, the highlights for me are an incredibly like over the top performance from Liz Hurley, who just like knows what type of ridiculous film she's in. And then her character just refuses to ever finish conversations. Like there'll be numerous conversations (laughs) where she just either runs away, cycles away, walks away while someone asks her a question. And I'm just like, that was just Liz Hurley. I just like, I want to carry that energy into my daily life. Just be like, you know what? I don't need to be part of this conversation anymore. (laughs) And then also it's probably going to be the best, um, flute battle on a roof you'll ever see in a film <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um oh it's just what that's oh, ridiculous there could be it has to be seen to be believed there could be an entire podcast episode just on piper and i'd listen to it oh yeah and then oh, watch yeah. the film again <laughs> i'm gonna do it don't worry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that, that's the only highlight of me for sunday films is i didn't see any others hmm divisive law i've heard some people hated piper oh, wrong i gave it half a star it was the best film i've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was it was absolutely fucking terrible terrible and i'd watch it 10 times over it was one of them it was so bad it sort of came back round to being just fantastic again but it reveled in its ridiculousness i think it I don't know how much it thought it was a serious film. Maybe it did, and maybe I'm saying this, and the director would be very upset in me thinking they deliberately made something ridiculous. 
<laughs> it is so ridiculous. It's fun. And I think the audience really made it. I mean, me and Amber watched it in the press screen where everyone was quite quiet, but people came out of the main screen rolling about laughing. They'd had the mm-hmm. best time. Yeah, I wish I wish we'd seen it in the biggest because me and Becky like had to tap out. We had had enough because when you're in like the press screen with a tie, uh, not the biggest screen, and it was really quiet. And we were the only people laughing in there. We were like, "This is so bad. We have to leave." And then we got out, and everyone was like, oh, "That was the best flute ballad we've ever seen." We were like, "Shit, can we go back in?" Um, so highlights a uh, Sunday then. Uh, Amber. So I can't say anything else about Piper. It's Criterion, like, <laughs> it, like Piper two. When, um, but I, would say I thought Sun- Sunday was my uh, best or strongest day. I thought after Saturday did not. I didn't enjoy my last two of Saturday, but I was in the main screen for most of Sunday because we had an extra seat, so I got to go in there. So did Piper, and then after that was. The seeding, which was a very bleak, um, again, very vicious and nasty film that deals with a lot of topics about um, gender norms and kind of like, I guess, um, uh, sorry, I'm really blanking. Can you edit this out while I think of the word? What word am I trying to think of here? Reproductive rights. That's what I'm thinking of. Reproductive rights and like the the barriers that that gender roles cause. And I think it was really it was really nasty. Um, it could have gone a little bit further for me, um, but that's probably just a reflection on me as a person and the things that I want to see in films, which aren't necessarily the things that everyone wants to see. Um, but I did think it was it was really good. And then, hi- absolute biggest highlight of Sunday for me has to be Raging Grace. Um, by Paris Zarkula. It was just, I, I mean, I wasn't in any other screening that got a standing ovation, so I don't know how many of them did, but Raging Grace really felt like witnessing something very important, and I'm really like lucky that I got to be there, very privileged. Yes, that's um, about the, as far as I know, the immigrant experience of a, like a nanny sort of character, isn't it? Yeah, There's a lot so of these it's movies about a Filipino, a Filipino um, immigrant in the UK. Um, and her young daughter and it's kind of about how them getting uh, the mum gets a new job for um an elderly man in a house and it kind of spirals from there but I re- what I really loved about it is that it blended so many genres it was really funny at times it was very sweet it was scary at moments um it was really heartwarming and it had I know where the devil roams gave us the biggest what the fuck moment ending of the year but I thought Raging Grace's ending was just it, it ends with this um this Filipino choir called the Haraya Choir and they're all made up of NHS workers like in the UK and they just put on this beautiful traditional like Filipino performance and everyone was in tears like weeping the whole way through it was absolutely gorgeous really really lovely film hmm. what I've heard that seems to be the how the word this not breakout but sort of the movie that everybody's talking about as far as this year's fright fest yeah it was very like because this was my first fright fest and i have to say as much as i really enjoyed everything i was really i was waiting for that moment you know that moment everyone's like this is what fright fest is about like film fans coming together and that was it like that that screening and paris's speech at the end where he talked about the racism that the Asian community had faced during COVID and 
the rage that he took from that as seeing his community and his people be disrespected and he put it all into this film and it's just amazing it was just like a really lovely experience and yeah standing ovation so many people were lining up to meet him at the end i would not be surprised if he like fully blows up after this like he's one to watch for sure anything else on the sunday i can't remember what else is um cold meat i thought was quite interesting um that was like a little single location thriller in a car um but i think for me after raging grace i was in such a good mood that i like tapped out early because i really wanted to like keep that um that positive energy going and i'm glad i did because i think if i had gone out after that i would have been in a bad mood <laughs> um so cat sunday um so yeah i guess what other people have said uh raging raging grace um so standing ovations at fright fest i believe this is the third in 24 years oh my god i can't remember which the first i can't remember what the first one was but the second one was when adam green bought victor crowley um which he had been making with george romero and then romero died and then it was like he 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 dedicated it to him and the audience you know standing gave him a big standing ovation so i think if i'm right this is only the third standing ovation oh, in wow. Brightfest history, which does make it special. And I mean, it was special before it even screened. I mean, I know it screened at Fantasia, but I don't remember there being too much buzz about it. But this was obviously Paris is is from the UK. So this was the, the home turf screening. And they did the media wall before they did the screening. And I was an emotional wreck because they wheeled out this 10-year-old actress. And unlike Becky, I didn't have my daughter. That She came to see me a couple of times, but she wasn't wasn't with me. And I just saw her mum taking pictures of her on the media wall. And I was obviously very proud and I could feel how that was. So I was instantly burst into tears. And I was like, well, it's okay. Cause like, she's really young. She's just going to do pictures. And then uh, she was placed in front of me and I had to interview her uh, through tears. So I'm very <laughs> sorry, Jaden, if I traumatized you, I was the, the lady who was crying as she was asking you questions, <laughs> but like, what a star, like she was spoke so eloquently on, on the media wall and she gives a great performance. Cause the whole thing with her character is that her mum is having to sneak her into all these in all these places because she's scared that as a as a mother and an immigrant no one's going to want to hire her because she's got nowhere else for the child to go so she's sort of sneaking this child into everywhere um and as somebody that grew up in a, a single parent family i'm not an immigrant but as somebody that grew up in a single parent family i could relate to certain aspects of 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 her character um and then, yeah, in a complete tonal shift, uh, my other highlight is the seeding. Again, I caught it at an earlier festival and I just remember watching the screen and being like, this is just bleak. This is this is amazing. It's like a really warped version of Wendy and the Lost Boys from Peter Pan. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like this, this, this guy's like, he gets tricked into going into this like cat canyon in the desert and he gets like trapped in there and there's these like boys at the top of the cliff who are sort of keeping him there and he's staying with this woman and she very much is the wendy to to their lost boys and yeah i just loved every every minute of it it really highlights the the brutal like sort of futility of human nature and 
yeah, it was, it's very much not for everybody, but it was definitely for me. And I have to give a shout out to the lead actor, Scott Hayes, who had his, he's a SAG actor and he had his appearance cleared um, through like all the waiver system that's going on with the strikes. And he rocked up to the screening with a baseball cap, which he had painted human, not AI on which I think okay. given given That's the climate of the about. strikes yeah. is, you know, I it was a, a genius, a genius move from him, especially as Fright Fest uh, was headline sponsored by Pigeon Shrine, who have dealings with AI as well. It's a, a nice sort of double, double thing. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- those few movies just show that the stereotype of horror movies is just so, especially with Rage and Grace, people think horror movies are just dumb gore and crap but have movies that really capture a mood of a time and the mood of a people like raging grace it just for sure the horror the horror from raging grace well i mean there are a few scary scenes in it but the horror from raging grace comes from like the very real reality that people in this country not just in this country but across the world what people of color and immigrants face and i said to paris afterwards is that i i was i mean i'm sure i can speak for a lot of people who might be in privileged situations like myself where I've never experienced that I'm very lucky not to have and but he put something on screen that I would never have had the chance to see and it's so eye-opening because it really does happen to people in you know the country that we think is so progressive and so forward-thinking and half the time is really very not so much so yeah fully scary in a very realistic way yeah I mean the fact that Sunday went from like camp OTT horror of Piper into bleak, the seeding into emotional devastation. That's that just shows that you know, horror is so much more than just a woman running through the woods with the top off being chased by somebody with a machete. 100%. Yeah. Imagine there was a lot of that at Fright Fest, though. It seems to have that crowd of movies. Uh, is it better this year? Creeping fucking death. <laughs> 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 uh, that, that is is that a Finley veil to stab it's not Finley at all no no this is a very outwardly stab against this film that was forced on my eyes because it should not have been a fucking mainstream film sorry I'm not holding back um, but uh, go for it go for it yeah no just you could tell that this was very much a film where the director has watched a certain type of popular horror film and was just like, I want to recreate the type of scenes that I enjoyed watching when I was like a horny teenager. And like, it's done terribly, like absolutely terribly. <laughs> it's And also it's like offensive <laughs> yeah. to the entire country of Ireland alone. So I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the only other ones which would fit in with like that brand of horror would be potentially punch, but it's sort of a British spin on it. Um, there's a house party and there's naked people dancing on a table. I've never been to a house party like that with college students. Um, but it's a wrap. It's a wrap is like a giallo slasher mashup and features some of the best lines of the festival. And by best, I mean they're absolutely fucking terrible. Um, in a bid to in a bid to seduce a man, one woman he she 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 tells the man that she's marinating. What? Yeah, he's like, "Are you ready for me?" And she's like, "I'm marinating." A man wrote this, didn't he? 
A man wrote, yeah, of oh, you did. Jesus Christ. A man who's never spoken to a woman or had, like, no. Okay. <laughs> that things that women don't say. <laughs> I imagine the writer also has a podcast. That's the vibe I'm getting there. What a dick. <laughs> That's not a Finley deal stamp myself, by the way. There's like a type of podcaster who's very. Well, that. Oh, basically. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I imagine the answer's going to be the same here because it seems like the sort of unanimous opinion on Raging Grace is a very, very high one. But any other. Uh, Sunday highlights for yourself, Becky? Yeah, no, I was same as Belle. I left on the Sunday just because I had work on the Monday and had my little ones to sort of look after. So I didn't see too much in the screens on the Sunday. Obviously, Piper, Oscar bait <laughs> the screens <laughs> over the weekend. We're going to be hearing a lot about that in the run-up to the awards. <laughs> but yeah, Raging Grace is definitely my highlight of the day for all the reasons everyone's already mentioned. It was such an emotional film to watch. And I feel like very much like Where the Devil Roams, it felt like we were really being let into sort of a personal thing between the Adams family of how they made it together with Raging Grace. You could really tell that a lot of Paris's sort of anger and his own experiences of being an immigrant went into the film. And I feel like it dealt with a lot of topics that maybe we'd seen in the news, like obviously to do with like racism towards Asian people, to sort of the fear of deportation, sort of illegal immigration, living under the radar. But it's things that we've sort of seen in headlines but may not understand too much about. And I feel like seeing the horrors of that on screen, I thought was incredibly emotional. There's a scene in it when it's sort of coming towards its culmination that something happens with Grace in it and she's taken away from the house. And when I watched that for the first time, I was just mouth open, shocked, because I didn't expect to see it. But then it is a reality for a lot of immigrants across the world. It's something that I fortunately will never have to come into contact with, hopefully, but it's something that is just a lived every day for so many people. And mm. I thought that along with a really common like, horror in the film was something that was a real, a real shock, I thought, and something that I know did upset a lot of people watching it. And I think it's something that we really need in horror, horror that speaks a truth that, a lot of people don't understand and a lot of people will not get to see because we don't report it. We see headlines on things like the Daily Mail, like oh, all these people coming here on boats. It's sickening when it's not. It's families looking for a better life. And then through films like Raging Grace, we see why, we see how they're treated, we see what they go through, the subhuman conditions they have to live in. Yeah, the only, only and, thing I can really re- I'm not saying Raging Grace, but the only thing I can really relate that to is his house from a few years ago that Remy Weeks did. It's very much oh, that. I yeah, love it's his very, house. very similar in tone. Oh, well, you've won me over there because I adored uh, his house. Yeah, it, it's one that I would recommend to, I think, any horror viewer can get something out of Raging Grace. It is, it is that sort of film. There is something in it for everyone. I think the message in it is so important. So many people need to see it. And to see, like, I can't think of it. It's Jaden Page, isn't it, Jaden? Oh, I don't want to get her name wrong because she's, she's so great. The young girl who plays Grace in it. Mm-hmm. I know Kat got Adorable. to speak to her on the media wall and she did fantastically. Compared to some of the adult actors that we spoke to <laughs> over the weekend, she was such a little star. I think it really, I was really hopeful and I think it really bodes well for the future and progressivity of horror that the film that was perhaps the best re- well-received at the fest and got the standing ovation is the one, you know, the film that dealt with issues of racism was directed by a person of color, isn't just your standard, like, white guy slasher thing. Like, I was really very 
pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. And, you know, fingers crossed this is the future of horror from now on because it's about time, mm. to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It was one I wasn't sure how it was going to go down for that reason. Watching it ahead of the festival, I didn't know how it was going to be received. I was so happy like when you and Liz and Alice and everyone had came out of the screen and said we were all in tears. It was fantastic. Yeah, it got a stand innovation. Absolutely. Lovely. Mm. <laughs> can only ask Kat and uh, Amber this. The highlights of Monday. I only saw one film on Monday um, because I had to leave, and I started off with Takeshi Kushida's My Mother's Eyes, which was the first film that played, um, which I very much enjoyed. But I think it was a pretty terrible programming decision to have it at eleven o'clock on a Monday morning, right at the end of the festival, because it's a very um, psychological, sci-fi, subtle, stylish slow burn um and it does ramp up towards the end there but for a good hour and a bit i could definitely feel the audience flagging through no fault of their own because like i said it was just a bad programming decision i think i think if it had been like an opening night film or kind of like a midweek it would have um i mean it went down well i think people really enjoyed it and the reviews that are coming out are really good but it would have been nice to see it at a different time but i have a lot of love for Takeshi Kushida he's a really nice guy I got to chat with him a lot at the fest and kind of get to know him and I really enjoyed his first feature um Woman of the Photographs which was a I thought was a really strong debut he's got a really good eye for color and the meanings like like Woman of the Photographs was very red and um, My Mother's Eyes was very green and it goes to a place you would never expect it's completely bonkers at the end in the way that all the best Japanese horrors are um and it's one that I really want to watch again I'm very excited to see it again hmm, I've seen that one too <laughs> uh effectively like a woman who loses her vision and her daughter's paralyzed from the neck down and yeah that sounds pretty pedestrian but where it goes <laughs> not 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 really <laughs> yeah and it was really interesting because at the at the um at the q a takashi kushida explained that the reason he's so enamored with things like vr and photography is because he doesn't like making eye contact with people and suddenly everything made sense I was like, yeah. oh my yeah, gosh, okay, a hundred percent, I get it now. Um, but yeah, Has very. It, I, I don't know if ranks in sort of uh, the scenes from Fright Fest because I've only seen six through screeners. But the scene in that where uh, the daughter talks about being allowed to die, it's mm-hmm. oh, it's yeah, it was, it was very, very emotionally charged, and there was a, there was a lot of times where i was actually quite moved by it especially you know that the, there were there's a lot about motherhood in there and kind of like the the living on through your family and your mother and i have a lot of mommy issues like a lot of people do so i was quite like moved by a lot of things in that and yeah it goes it goes to some pretty wild places um so i was i was very pleased to see that it got a good reaction um and it deals as well with a lot of scary technology things, which was quite a prevailing theme through this Bright Fest, I think. Mm. Um, things like AI in particular, and kind of like the the loss of the human identity through a machine. And it also reminded me, I don't know if you've seen New Religion by Keishi Kondo. It was like that, it's that very kind of like new wave of Japanese horror that's coming in. That who These are the guys that grew up on the J-horror boom. And now we're seeing them take these themes of technology and apply them to things like VR 
or again ai things like that so it's really interesting to see that evolution hmm. a cat anything left from monday any other highlights um so there's one from that played on saturday and then got repeated on monday which was uh, graham hughes's hostile dimensions so graham directed death of a vlogger which screened I want to say 2019, which was a found footage film set in his own flat. Uh, he is back in his flat, but this time it's a science fiction sort of documentary about two women who find a door to other worlds. Um, he, again, manages to do lo-fi scares that I should have seen coming and didn't and <laughs> gave me a heart attack. Honestly, the, the, the sheet scare in Death of a Blogger yeah. Should not work. And when I first saw it, I got actual goosebumps. And like, I watched so many of these films, and I was like, I can't believe you've done this. And he got me twice in Hostile Dimensions. So he is, he's in bad books. He knows this. Um, but if you really like Death of well, yeah, I well, that one, though, the characters are just so likable. Like, yeah. So very, very down to earth and real and likable. Yeah. I think if you enjoy Death of a Vlogger, you're going to really get on with, with Hostile Dimensions. Um, another mention would be for Home Sweet Home Where Evil Lives, which is a German, yeah, German one taker of a pregnant woman who is renovating uh, her fiance's family's bed and breakfast. And it becomes a home invasion, but also a ghost story and also an occult story and also uh, a history film. It goes to some really strange places and the fact it's all in one take just hurts my head. Like you can understand how easy it is for, you know, for bigger directors to do something like 1917, which is obviously like several one takers, but for them to be doing it on such an indie level. And I didn't even know it was one take until I went to review it and I did some research into it. I went, Oh, but they had a dream sequence, <laughs> like, and it, it is, and that's why, like, I rewound it back and watched it, and it's it's seamless. Wow. Um, yeah, it's she's sort of like she sits down, and then the camera moves across, and action happens, and then it sort of like goes up to the sky for a, like a few seconds, and then it's back to her, and she's waking up, and it's like, okay, now that I know it's a one take, I I get it. But I did not get that before. And I guess my final film, which I know that others have seen, even though they weren't there in the Monday, is Good Boy. I loved Good Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's probably the film that everybody was most excited to see. It screened in one of the smaller screens, which was a shame because it would have gone down so well on the main screen. But it's a (laughs) rom-com thriller. That's one way to describe it. (laughs) Girl, yeah, yeah. Struggling, struggling students matches with billionaire heir on a dating app. Uh, things are going great until he introduces her to his pet dog, Frank, who is actually a man who has decided to live as a dog. Um, she decides, hey, he's he's cute. He's got money. Um, let's give this a go. And they go away for the weekend Your face, as, as a three. And it just gets crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time all round. Wow. 
I know you can't excite him anymore because he's a horrible human being, but like say on Sono or many movies you watch of him, you say he he must have a good cocaine dealer. Like oh, some of the movies yeah. that he made. Got but you can't talk about him anymore because he's a scumbag. But that movie seems very similar. Like yeah, that guy who wrote that. It, it was. The, I liked Good Boy. I wish it had gone as far as a Sion Sono movie. It doesn't, but it was still absolutely fun. Very original, very silly, very. Has a guy that looks like a Scars Guard in it. So I was like immediately on board because I'm shallow like that. Well, there's not 20 of them, so. <laughs> exactly. He could have been an extra one. It's another one where I think the final scene yeah. had a lot of people like, what the fuck? Like, it's another one that really ended. Yeah. On a high note. There's been a lot of them at Friday Fest this year, which I think is fantastic. A lot of great endings. Yeah. So um, I think I know the answer to this for a good deal of people anyway, but uh, one film of the festival. I mean, I think I'm safe to say that I think many is going to be Raging Grace, for sure. I think if it plays at any other festivals, it's going to be the same reaction. I genuinely can't choose. Raging Grace, Suitable Flesh and River were my hard to beat three and i love them all equally it's like choosing between children and i won't do that so i will and it's raging race i'm a bell and cat um yeah well for me unfortunately i have massive fomo again because i flew home on sunday which means i did not see raging grace which everyone has raved about so it's like that's the Mm. one film that i know i need to see but so because I didn't see that, the I the films of the festival for me, like I'd say tied equally because like they're so different. I don't think you can compare them, but Suitable Flesh and Farang, they were the two highlights for me. Like they're the films that I had the best time with in different ways. Hmm. Kath. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always a very hard question because obviously I watched like <laughs> 50 of them <laughs> I don't just watch like the 20 that like regular attendees watch I watch like 50 of them I'm gonna I'm gonna try and cheat my way around it and I'm gonna say that the the filmmakers of the festival um the people that I had the most fun talking to uh, are the Adamses I've spoken to them before they're always great um John of New Life and and Paris with with Raging Grace and for films I'm gonna go with um Farang and The Moor they mm. were like, I guess, and Suitable Flesh. So yeah, if you if you take those three films, you basically have my film taste. So like horny, campish, horror, uh, chilling, true crime, devastation, and just like action and men beating men up. <laughs> that would be a hell of a movie if you found one that has all of it. <laughs> I know, right? Keep looking, keep looking. <laughs> so I guess the question to ask here is... I think two of you, this is your first Fright Fest, Bell and, and uh, well. Amber, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so three. So how was it for the first time attending really, this event? Yeah, I really enjoyed I it. It was very overwhelming because like, me and Amber went as press, so we were sort of covering the festival as well. So there was a lot going on. There's a lot of people. The media wall is so busy, and there's a lot to take in as well. Like, you want to take in the feel of the festival as well as the films. So there was a lot to fit in. But I really enjoyed it. I found everyone who was there incredibly welcoming. It was a really, really lovely atmosphere. Like I touched on it briefly earlier. I brought my children along to London with me, with my husband. They came to have a look round. And the amount of people that spoke to them and said hello and sort of made them feel welcome really made my time a lot, a lot more stress-free, being able to like go out and feed them, 
mm-hmm. not feeling sort of awkward about it, not feeling like they were unwelcome, and it was sort of something you should go and do elsewhere. It was it was a really, really nice, welcoming atmosphere full of like-minded people who just wanted everyone to have a nice time, which was really, really nice. It's not I wouldn't say it's something that I didn't expect, but I didn't expect it on the level that I witnessed it. I didn't expect it. I thought because it is obviously such an institution of UK horror and everyone who goes to it has been going for years and there are obviously the regulars, I was really, really expecting it to be quite clicky and it absolutely 100% was not. Like you said, Becky, everyone was really welcoming. Like people who you knew from like Twitter but didn't really know in real life. It was just like you'd been old friends for years um, because you take this group of people who have traditionally been misfits, like the horror crowd. We get a lot of shit for liking these horrible films and a lot of people don't understand it and they think we're creepy or weird and you get us all in a room. We're just like the sweetest, kindest, most loving people. Not everyone, obviously, of course, there are there are bad eggs um, like <laughs> there are with it, with like any group of people, but in general i thought it was really really lovely and just like a really great time and i can't i can't wait for next year i can't wait Um, yourself pal yeah no for me um it was probably one of the best like experiences like again kind of similarly going into it i was a little bit more like um amber and that was kind of like expecting like because especially as like for me as like a very visibly queer person i was expecting this to be kind of very i don't know traditional kind of old white man wearing (laughs) bro horror guys yeah that's what i was kind of expecting and it wasn't that experience at all like everyone was so incredibly welcoming i think if i had to like say gone as like a solo attendee my experience would have been very different as opposed to going with like pre-organized group with all these ghouls fabulous humans that's what kind of made the experience for me like from the actual like film festival experience itself like I think I enjoyed the film experience of Soho Festival more because everyone's watching the exact same films and discussing those films after watching it. Whereas with Fright Fest, everyone's seeing so many different films. So you're not necessarily having the same type of post-film conversations because everyone's seeing different things. Um, so from the actual like watching films perspective, I think Soho is a more intimate experience. But the social atmosphere the being welcomed was the highlight and I'm just like I'm already looking at accommodation for next year and I'm doing the five days next year as well never been before it's too expensive for my tastes yeah yeah I'm a poor northerner let's just call it that collectively none of us have dared to look at absolutely not it's just the imperial and greg's like I I got paid today so that's fine (laughs) whatever happened last week didn't happen and you know it's a vacation yeah exactly you don't look at your bank account after a vacation that's the rule it's a vacation in london on a bank holiday the fact that we got out (laughs) alive is like that's that's rich enough in my mind (laughs) i was doing really well uh, mainly because I'm so busy in the media world that I don't have time to eat. I had two actual meals the entire five days. I was, so I was doing really well, money-wise. And then I met up with some friends in the casino and we spent an afternoon drinking cocktails. And cocktails in a casino in London are expensive and come <laughs> with a £3 service charge on each cocktail. So... Um, I did look at how much money I spent and let's say about half 
is on that <laughs> afternoon. You are hundred percent. I don't know if it to, to listeners who might not have been at a fright fest with Cat before. It is the amount of work she does is unfathomable in the lead up and during the festival. Cat is fright fest. It blows. Literally, it blows my mind. Like you deserved all those three hundred pound cocktails as far as I yeah it's what well, i i am the the anomaly of the press who does everything so there are some press who cover the films before there's some press who just go and sit in the in the press screen there's some press who just come to do the media wall um not many of them do the socializing in the evening it was nice to have people this year in the press who were doing that but i do the screeners before the screeners during the media wall and all of the socializing so by the time i return home to my family i'm just a husk <laughs> of a person <laughs> but how i mean this is far from your first i think you've mentioned on twitter you've it's your 13th yeah so i won tickets when i lived in nottingham i won tickets to a screening of monsters and that was my first experience by the next year we were living in essex so we came to me and my husband went to watch a couple of films. We saw a lonely place to die the first year and RIPD the second year. So um oh, wow. <laughs> not all quality. <laughs> um and then the next year I reviewed my first film, which was Starry Eyes, which I adore. Um and I then went to my editor and was like, Can I look after Fright Fest? And he doesn't like horror, so he was like, yeah have it and <laughs> since 2015 i've covered as much as i can um i like like these guys i went on my own the first time and the community there is so welcoming i've made some really good friends through the festival and i think the thing that fright fest has that other festivals don't is there's no barrier between talent and attendees which obviously in some situations is a safeguarding nightmare especially you've got lots of very attractive actors and actresses and suddenly there's no big burly security guard to to protect these people but from a, a fan perspective so nice to be able to go up to a filmmaker at the end of their film and be like I really like that and then you can go and disappear into like a two-hour chat about that film about their influences about their upbringing and then you come out the end of the festival having made friends I know that happened for for some of the other guys um on the pod here and yeah, I think that's something that I really enjoy about Fright Fest. I come back at the end of each year with some new filmmaker friends. And then it's really nice when they return. Like last year, there was um, Eric Penikoff returned. This year, there was the Adamses and, and Graham Hughes returning. So it, it's quite nice to see these people again. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have four more for missing out on the Sunday. I've <laughs> never been, so it's terrible. <laughs> Apply as press with the pod. I'm sure I'm sure that they would be open to it. Hmm. And then Maybe you only next, have yeah. to look at the accommodation. Yes, which would put me in my overdraft, which is <laughs> <always> fun. <laughs> um, so I think that about wraps it up. And this is anything that anybody else wants to talk about that really stood out from it this year's Fright Fest, for good or or. Not necessarily worse because I know well, there's a side of the horror community that knows, doesn't need air. So uh, for better, yeah. the only thing that uh, st- stands out for me because it's just like I didn't expect it at all to be a thing, and like I don't know why I didn't expect it. But the fact that like 
didn't matter what time of day, but every day literally parked right outside the Senate world where like the evangelical kind of Christian people like preaching oh, yeah. and singing hymns and like trying to like catch you and convert you to like you know because they view people going to a horror f- festival as like sinners or something like that heathens, so i just found that very spell. perplexing <laughs> well, yeah, and i fully embrace that but yeah i found it so very perplexing i didn't expect that that's the only kind of like other thing that was like oh yeah that was part of the fright fest experience that was weird but yeah, yeah. other than that it was fantastic <laughs> yeah because they literally only turn up that weekend you go into london outside the city world any other weekend and they're not there. Bank holiday weekend, they come, they've got their leaflets, they've got their banners, they've got their songs. And yeah, they're just set up shop yeah, and trying like, to convert us. Yeah. Like literally, like, who strategy. has the time? I mean, like like Becky, um, my daughter turned up, she she went and had a picture taken on the media wall because she's extra. Um, <laughs> but I think the scariest thing that she encountered was the people screaming outside about you know your royal sinners and stuff you know actually in the festival there you know there's posters people's wearing like the goriest of horror t-shirts and stuff didn't phase her but the random people stood outside shouting in her face was definitely something that yeah she my daughter enjoy. said exactly exactly the same sort of experience and i think it did have the danger of being incredibly sort of intimidating for a lot of people but i do think it's testament of the fright fest community that people weren't kicking off people weren't antagonizing them people were just getting on with their day and so I mean, maybe it did kick off when I wasn't there, but I didn't see anything. It just sort of went over everyone's head. It didn't really impact people's good time over the weekend, which I think is a good thing. So I think it definitely did. There was a, It did have yeah. a very antagonistic air about it, standing right outside the cinema, thrusting things in people's face, calling people names. I think it definitely did have the potential to boil over, but didn't. You kind of make it sound like, uh, not as other examples, but the famous one is the nuns outside of um, cinemas when the very mu- yeah, very much that sort of <laughs> yeah extraness <laughs> like or it just made me think of that Father Ted episode <laughs> down with this careful now thing. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I pictured I was just like they're just ludicrous it's just ridiculous <laughs> yes um I think that about wraps it up for uh, Fright Fest this is this will be a tradition going forward. Um, nice tradition. So, um, where we can find people online and, and you know, things that you're doing currently. Um, Kat? Uh, so, I am at Gizmo Shikari on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter, and cathughes.bsky.social on Blue Sky, because who knows? Maybe that's going to do something. <laughs> um, I'm also, I also have a, a podcast that's very not horror uh, Movies with Mummy with my daughter, Aurora, where we talk about whatever she wants to talk about and it's chaos um and in terms of my writing i recently made my arrow blog debut talking about a film called dinner in america which i have championed forever and finally getting to sort of like write down my love for this film was was really special so that's on the the arrow blog and people can check it out there Hmm. um we have to have multiple social medias because apparently Musk wants to turn Twitter into a bank or something. He's he can't do it. He can't even keep it as a social media app. How are people gonna put their life savings in it? Bullshit. Uh, yeah, he's, he's broken. Loser. Blood diamond mummy's little boy. Apartheid Clyde. Guy. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Amber, where can we find yourself online? Find me at Apartheid Club. No, um, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter and Instagram at Hornblowfire and on Blue Sky at uh, Blonde Kaidan. Um, you can see me on the upcoming front cover of Fangoria, where I interviewed the uh, filmmakers from VHS 85. I'm also in the current issue of Fangoria, where I um, interviewed the VFX team behind Birth Rebirth. And I have something exciting coming soon for Japanese horror fans. I can't really say a lot more about it at this point, but yeah, just keep an eye out. Like weird Japanese film. Hmm. Which we do. Well, I yes. do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bell. Yeah, so I'm Mix Bell Morrigan across like all the socials. That's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. I'm also on Blue Sky as well. And in like my bio for all of those is my link tree, which can take you everywhere else. And then I also have a podcast, um, which is Fishnets and Philosophy, where I mostly just kind of chat about genre films through a very queer lens. And I also have an OnlyFans, so hey, pimping my porn. But yeah, so I'm I'm everywhere on the internet. <laughs> It's called Uncut for a reason. So you can find me at BL South Rights on Twitter and on Blue Sky. There you can find my portfolio, which takes you to all my freelance writing for places like Metro, Digital Spy, Ghouls Magazine, and Moving Pictures Film Club. And I've also got an exciting project coming up, my own podcast that I'm starting. Again, I won't say too much at the moment, but in the next few months that all being well should be coming keep an eye on all those social places all of it will be in the description below but I guess you can find me across all social medias uh, at Uncut Robcast as well as um, on Letterboxd under my name Rob Simpson and next week it is Sophia Coppola and uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you then <laughs> <laughs>